Our living room currently bears an uncomfortable resemblance to Russell Crowe's shed from A Beautiful Mind. I'm Meredith, and this is the Launchpad for Pomona Valley Church. Hi everyone, I'm Curtis. Welcome to the Launchpad, where each episode we're here to talk about the values and culture that we hope will mark Pomona Valley Church, a new, in the midst of becoming official, church in Southern California. That's right. We actually just wrapped up a pair of meetings that we called the Fall Focus Conversations. Sounds very official. Oh, absolutely. Where our local group prayed and brought their thoughts about what comes next for us as we continue toward becoming, as you just said, more official. That's also the source of the aforementioned state of our living room. If you're in the area, be sure you receive our monthly newsletters because we will be adding some new things for Pomona Valley Church for the rest of 2019. And those things will be included in the September issue. You can find a link to subscribe in the show notes for this episode, which live at our website, PomonaValleyChurch.org. We're beginning what we are calling the third season of the podcast because why not? We can call it whatever we want, right? (laughs) With a mini-series of episodes that are seeking to explain some of our distinctives as a church. We've taken some of the more frequently asked questions, and then we've turned those into themes. Our season opener was, are we evangelical? And we walked through what we mean when we say a nuanced yes, but also some other elements that we have in addition. So in that episode, we make the case that having all of those elements together is part of what will make Pomona Valley Church unique. Last time, we talked through what might make our gatherings a little different than your typical church service. And then today... We're going to talk about young people, meaning kids and teens. What might we be doing at Pomona Valley Church that's a bit distinct from many, not all by any means, but many churches today? This is one of those topics we could go on for a very long time. So we're going to limit this discussion. Are there any topics that we can't go on for a very long time? (laughs) Shh, they don't know us that well yet. A short sermon, let's just remind you. We have to practice it or else you'll all go insane. So what we're going to do is talk about three things, three core things that we believe are going to be important for us as we serve kids and teens at Pomona Valley Church. So let's get right into it. Well, let's uh, let's give a caveat first, shall we? We love a good caveat. Yes. So here it is. The things we're reacting against or being distinct from in this episode, they come from a well-intentioned place, usually. Groups that care and want great things for young people. And often they were the right answer at the time when those things started 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 60 years ago, but they don't necessarily fit our culture anymore. And so we're going by necessity for this format to speak to broad trends without just wanting to wipe everything off the map that ever came before us. Certainly, but we don't want this episode to feel like a walkthrough of the history of kids and student ministries for you. So we'll dive in with just three themes. And the first, which might sound obvious, we want kids to be fully a part of our church. Hey, wait, I thought kids were the future of the church. Doesn't that sound great? We love kids. I believe that children are our future. Yeah, I'm not going to try to do Whitney. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, it's a really common idea that you hear that children are the future. But that also might mean that a church orients the goal to being raising kids who at the age of 18 or maybe 22 are ready to join the real church. And until then, there is age-targeted programs provided for young people, often exclusively and often separately. 
And if that doesn't work, if they're not ready to join the real church at 18 or 22, well, you just provide more age-targeted programs. College group, young adult group, on and on until they're 30 or 35 or 40 or whatever the case may be. It happens that Meredith was involved in one research pro project back in 2007 that focused in part on what have young people experienced in their churches that helps them launch into their adulthood, into the 18-plus time of their life, ready to grow into their faith as emerging adults. Yep, and one key answer from that research project was this. What made a kid more likely to continue in their faith journey after high school was not that they had a really cool youth group with awesome youth workers or super fun programming, games, loud music. Yeah, what every teenager wants. It was actually when those young people got a chance to be part of the whole church, the actual church, worshiping and serving and participating alongside all the other people there. It wasn't something that those kids would join one day, you know, when they were ready. Yeah, when they wouldn't embarrass anybody. It was something they were already a part of now. Which makes sense if you think about it. You're going to be less likely to walk away from something you really feel a part of than something you might someday be allowed to be a part of. It's almost like kids actually care more about belonging to something and having people who care about them than being entertained. Yes. <laughs> and this and other studies like it, they raise this concern. Is it possible that our age-exclusive programming, by which I mean youth group or kid ministry, as it's been done for the last couple decades, is it possible it doesn't work? At least not anymore. And if that's true, then what do we do instead? How do we spend our money differently? Do different things with our time? I think that once you open yourself up to the possibility that the models we have have run their course, then you have to start imagining a whole new paradigm. And it begins with seeing kids as part of the church now where then we're going to create a whole different set of programmatic responses than if we see kids as the future of the church someday. Which actually leads us to our second idea, that kids, if they are welcomed and taken seriously and loved, if they have some spaces just for them, more on that in a minute, that they would still want to be part of the church. Sometimes we think young people just don't want to be with the adults in the main worship service. And it's connected to this bigger idea that teens are almost their own species and as such would never want to be with grown-ups. And independence is everything. And there is some truth in the idea that kids want and need independence. Adolescence is, in large part, the process of becoming their own person. And that's hugely important developmentally. But then we have to attend to how that best happens. And as a culture, there are often two opposite extremes that hinder this process of becoming an adult. The first is helicoptering, where a kid is smothered by adults who tell them exactly what to do and when to do it all the time. Those kids don't get enough space to achieve the independence they need. And in this sense, that kid needs that space, space to make mistakes, take on challenges, learn things on their own. Helicoptering can feel a bit like handing a kid a preloaded GPS that they have to heed at every turn. The other reaction lies at the opposite end of the spectrum, a trend noted over a decade ago through the research of Chap Clark, something he calls systemic abandonment. And these are actually in some ways related, but it would take a while to get into that. So we'll just leave that there. But systemic abandonment is where we treat teens as if they were already adults even if we're not meaning to. 
And so rather than walking with them and coaching them towards adulthood, this culture neglects the pathways that help a young person grow and just leaves them to themselves. So systemic abandonment can feel like dropping a kid off at the bottom of a mountain, telling them adulthood is at the top, and waving goodbye as you call out, happy climbing. Interestingly, some church spaces have then had a bit of both. So they buy into the idea that teens don't want to be with adults anyway, and they build buildings just for them or create separate programming for them during all the adult activities. But then in those spaces, they give young people lessons that tell them exactly what to do in order to be a good kid or be a good Christian. So instead, might it be more like having a guide? I'm still hiking, but they've gone on this trail before. They might point out something interesting or valuable. Hey, look at this. And there are navigation tools, but there's many paths to get up to the top. And maybe the guide would even let you try a less than ideal way, knowing that they can help you move forward again and remind you that no mistake is too much. See, a huge portion of the research on young people is that they need a group of caring adults around them, sending the same positive messages to them, if that message will indeed form that child. And so the big problem is this. These tribes of caring adults that every kid needs, well, they're going extinct right now. They're harder and harder for a teenager or a kid to find them in the wild. Yep. Young people need the chance to become more independent, but they do that with the coaching and support of wise and trusted adults. They need more than their parents and time away from their parents in order to cultivate this growth. They need their own space to make mistakes and take on challenges, and then they need adults who coach and support them through the consequences of those mistakes. And all of that has to happen in an environment that communicates to a young person, one, you will be okay, and two, you are still loved no matter what. And it's adults who've made those same mistakes, faced those same challenges, and come through on the other side who are best equipped to create that space for kids. So bringing this back to our first point, if we accept that data shows that young people benefit a ton from being part of the whole church as early as they can, then we'd at least need to ask, how would that look? We'd like to assume that and create a culture in which all teens and kids are not just welcome in our service, but can be part of leading it like adults can. Kids can greet people at the door, answer questions from new people, read scripture, lead music, be part of the discussions. If a kid can do it, we want to give them the opportunity to do it. And then along with that, while we will offer age-based space to explore and play for kids from birth to sixth grade during the services, for grades seven and up, we would want them to join us during the gatherings, which means that the gatherings expect them, include them, and are planned with their presence in mind. This is part of where shorter sermons and experiential elements can be a real strength. It's true. Yeah. The other piece of this is what we do want to offer for teens, which is the chance to be in a small group with their peers. And that isn't new at all. But the two keys for us are this. First, the leaders are consistent, committed, wise adults. And second, the group gets to engage, explore, express doubts. So we're not imagining a youth group or a youth service. We imagine a church service and small groups. And that combines to invite kids into the life of the church and then also give them the right kind of independent space. And this idea of what kids or teens do when they're in their own spaces leads to the third point that we'd like to unpack, that the purpose of church for young people 
is not to teach them to apply the Bible and be good little boys and girls, but rather to support them as they get to know God and explore following God for themselves. See, that first option, just teach kids how to apply the Bible or how to obey God. Fuller Youth Institute will call this the dry cleaner model, right? If I'm a parent, I want to drop my kid off to the church, and I want that church to teach them to be good and have them come back all clean and pressed. We wonder if instead we should be in the mess with a young person, the mess of being bullied, the mess of feeling stupid, the mess of self-harm, the mess of achievement pressure. If my youth group is the dry cleaner, I just hear Bible stories and verses that tell me to clean myself up. If my church is in the mess with me, I'm going to hear how God entered the mess too. How Jesus was not scared off by or overwhelmed by life's real pain and pressures. And along with this, if I'm a kid who is learning to follow Jesus, if you think about it, it's not really appropriate to ask me to obey Jesus before I know or trust Jesus. I shouldn't have to just believe that God is good because you say so. I need the chance to experience God's goodness in time. Some of you may know that I spent the last few years writing curriculum for kids. In this case, birth through fifth grade. And in that project, two things that we tried to do were first, make God the main character of every Bible story. And second, invite kids to explore and respond to that story. And so if you take the example of David and Goliath, when the goal is to have good kids who apply the Bible right away, then David is usually the center of the story. And we tell kids how David was courageous in the face of a giant. And then we ask them to go and be courageous immediately, tomorrow, at school. But what if a kid can't? What if that's too much to ask, too hard, unavailable to them for some reason? The alternative, when you put God at the center of the story, is to remind young people that God is with them as they face hard things. That God can give courage That David knew something of God's presence and faithfulness in the midst of hard circumstances. And those are very different paradigms for approaching the Bible and very different takeaways for the young person who listens to the story. Putting God at the center is going to feel different as you teach it. And then from there, you can invite a kid to respond to that story. And that doesn't just mean obey, although for some kids, they might be ready to take a next step of following Jesus. But for others, they might have a question to ask or a doubt to share or something they just want to say about how that feels too hard or they don't know if they believe God would be that way to them. There are so many appropriate ways to respond to the Bible, and we can't be scared when kids do that. So just to sum up here. We see young people as fully part of the church, equals, with a lot to offer us right now as they are. From there, we are not going to dictate their path like a GPS, nor are we going to leave them at the bottom of the trail with a good luck, but rather we want to walk with them through the unique journey of childhood and adolescence. And then finally, when young people are in peer groups to explore their faith, we want both their leaders and the curriculum or content to help them get to know who God is and trust that God will lead them to a next faithful step in time, rather than telling them exactly how to behave to be good little boys and girls. We're going to wrap up there with, as always, a lot more that could be said and unpacked. You can find show notes that will link to the research that we referenced at PomonaValleyChurch.org. 
Remember that updates are going to come out through our newsletter and Instagram. And until next time, we love you all. Bye. Bye. Bye.